Welcome to Grace. I'm glad you're here. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. I was just talking to a great new group of uh, new and prospective members at Life at Grace. If that's something you'd want to do, they had a few empty seats left. A lot of people had kind of come in last minute, but there are a few empty seats. If you are interested in becoming a part of Grace and you want to slip out and head up there, it's right in the gathering room. They, I think they got enough seats to accommodate a few more. You can go up there and check it out. Otherwise, you can get it next month. We've been doing them about once a month. Big thank you to Pastor Brian Thomas. He crushed it last week. What a great message on suffering saints. Give him a hand. It was really good. And um, if you didn't get to watch it, please go check it out. It was really a blessing to us. We were um, not in worship. We went to the Billy Joel concert. I'll just tell you straight, if you didn't know that already, and I'm not ashamed of it, it was a great concert. He's 72 and he can still rock it. So almost 73, it's amazing. And that was a bucket list thing. My wife had bought that for me for, our, for my birthday back in October. So um, I just got started, y'all don't have to leave. Are y'all going to class? Oh, that's wonderful. See, people do listen, I'm shocked by that. It's great to have you, welcome to Grace. Thanks for coming, yeah, good, I love that. I love it, and uh, eat some Panera for me. I didn't have time to eat. Okay, so Brian killed it, y'all to go listen. Hey, we're talking about Genesis fact or fiction, right? Now here's the deal, this stuff really matters. If you believe it, it changes the way you live. If you don't believe it, then there's not a, a God who made you, and so it changes the way you live, and it changes your eternity. But I want to start here with what we call the Proto-Evangelium. Proto-Evangelium is just a fancy theological term that kind of put some Greek things together. Proto means first. Evangelium is a combination of two words. The E-U or the E-V is good. Angel means messenger. So angelium means message. So the first good news, the first gospel. The first gospel in the Bible is Genesis 3.15. And each chapter we study, I give you a verse for, for me and for you to memorize together. And what we're going to see is a snapshot of the first gospel explicitly written in the Bible. So let's look at it together, and y'all just go ahead and let's say it together. Ready? I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now keep it up there, and let's look at it. I'm going to put enmity, hostility. This is God's curse on the serpent, by the way, who we know is Satan, Lucifer, the tempter. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her. Your seed would essentially be the demonic realm. And her seed, now that's very odd. You never use that terminology in antiquity. It's the seed of man. I'll not be graphic, but you're following me. And so the seed of woman seems odd, but when we understand it's the Virgin Mary overcome by the Holy Spirit, and so it didn't happen in a normal biological sense or physiological sense, we understand. This is talking about Satan and his cohort and Jesus Christ. Now look at this. He, the Messiah, the Christ, shall bruise your head. That's fatal. You'll bruise his heel. That hurts, but it's not fatal. What theologians have told us over time now is that this is the first snapshot of what's coming. Part of the curse of Satan and him bringing sin and temptation in was that he would ultimately be defeated by the seed of woman. According to history, there's only been one who qualifies as the seed of woman. So that's where we get that, all right? So we'll be learning that the next few weeks. We had these different messages that we started back from January. In the beginning, God. Then in the beginning, God created. Then I did a mini-series called Divinely Designed, the actual origin of species. 
divinely designed in the image of God, a few messages of that. Then breath, the, life of, the breath of life, life in God's garden. We talked about marriage made in paradise. So we've had 10 sermons already in this mini-series in the first two chapters. Please go back, if you haven't heard those, if you haven't listened, you can get them any number of ways. Our app, uh, iTunes, website, um, any way that you can normally get media, you can get to our material. I would love for you to listen to those and bring yourself up. Because for the next three weeks, I'm going to give you the 11th, 12th, and 13th messages in Genesis. And they're all under one big title. But before I show you, you know, things are looking good, aren't they? In fact, I would argue things are looking great here in Genesis. Man's created in God's image. From man, we have the creation of woman as the pinnacle of God's creative order in day six. God looks around and not only says it's good and good and good, good, good and good, he said it's very good. And we find that God did a marriage ceremony in the garden because Eve is referred to as Adam's wife. God has said to them, look at all of this stuff around you. All of the beauty of this place. You can eat of all of these trees. There's one there in the midst of the garden, in the middle. Leave it alone. Don't eat from that one. If you eat of it, you're going to die. And die doesn't mean be extinct. Die means you'll be separated from me. Don't disobey me. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not good for you. But God is giving them so much with this sort of one little caveat. Don't do that. But now, something happens. Something really terrible happens. Uh, I know this is not a popular subject in the pulpits of our our country today. I know that there are very famous, well-known pastors that said, I choose not to speak on sin or I choose not to speak much on sin. I don't want to talk about words like sin. I don't want to talk about words like hell. That turns people off. That's offensive. Well, listen, as I said to our group today before we came out, I would much rather not offend God than worry about offending somebody else, okay? Including you. No offense. (laughs) I mean, I really don't want to offend God. And when God called me to preach, really 25 years ago, it took me two years to surrender. Well, when God called me to ministry, I knew one of God's calling, part of the call was to preach the whole counsel of God's word. And I knew that you, you and I could never understand and appreciate good news without bad news. If every day looked like this weekend and it's beautiful and it's in the 70s and the sun is shining, then you would never appreciate it and I would stop appreciating it. It's days like today where it's wet and gray and rainy that makes you appreciate the sun coming back out. And it is the bad news of what happens in the narrative that makes the good news so much more wonderful. Because if all you knew was Genesis 1 and 2, then you would think, for Christians especially, it should never be tough. It should never be hard. It should never be a rainy, gray day. But we see not only the grayness, but the blackness of sin begin to creep in and the darkness overtake this world. So what we're going to do today is we're going to step onto the slippery slope of sin. Y'all know what it means to be on a slippery slope. It's hard to stop once you're on it. J. Vernon McGee, old-timey preacher, radio personality, he said, we've come now to what some consider to be the most important chapter of the Bible. Then he quotes a guy, he says, Dr. Griffith Thomas called chapter three the pivot of the Bible. That word pivot became very popular during COVID, right? Church is pivoted, business is pivoted, everybody's pivoting, you know what that means. And he really calls it the pivot of the Bible. Now, I, I, I kind of agree, think about it. You read chapters one and two and it sounds phenomenal. God's in control, God made this, it's beautiful, it's glorious. 
worries. We are in paradise. You turn over and read chapters 4 to 11, it's awful. It's black. It's terrible. You find this tremendous vacuum that needs to be filled. Now you're seeing jealousy and anger, murder, murder in the first family. You're seeing lying and wickedness and corruption and rebellion and judgment. What happened? What happened between chapters one and two and chapters four and following? What happened? Genesis three happened. Chapter three, you can't skip chapter three. That's why pastors that'll say, I don't wanna preach on sin, well, okay, but then why do we need salvation? Why, Why do we need a savior? How is the good news good if there's nothing to compare it to? How is good news good if there's no bad news? It's just news. And we're not called to just proclaim news, we're called to proclaim good news. As far as man is concerned, this is where sin enters the picture. Now, look, sin came into the picture earlier. We know that. Sin came into the picture earlier. But for for where man is concerned, this is where sin enters. I'll explain that in just a little bit. Warren Wearsby, great preacher, expositor, he said, he kind of broke this section apart and he talked about the tempter and the target and the tactic and the trajectory and the tragedy and he had all these cool T's. But I didn't see the cool T's the way he did, so I'm gonna give you some, I don't know if I'd call them cool, I'm gonna give you 10 D's, okay, D words. I don't normally alliterate a lot, but I think for the sake of this three-part mini-series, it's gonna be easier. We'll do three this week, four next week, three the following, and I'm gonna give you a bunch of D's, and I think it will help us break this down and see what is going on on this slippery slope and how can I avoid getting on this slope myself, because it is a dangerous, you see what I did there with the D? It's a dangerous slope to be on. That being said, let's see what's happening. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, and let me read one to seven. Genesis three, one to seven. You ready? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said, see how that's starting out so weird? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. I've never read that before now. Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then, this is a big pivot, right? The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know how we can truly understand the rest of your word unless we spend some time here knowing how the condition of sin started and how it impacted not only the first family but every family thereafter. How in the earth itself today, even our very globe is groaning under the weight of sin. Lord, you are not the author of it, but we do see Satan and later we'll see his cohorts involved with drawing man away, trying to steal, 
kill, and destroy. But help us to remember that Christ came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. The good shepherd seeks to keep the wolf and the wolves in sheep's clothing from us. So give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us discerning spirits to stay off the slippery slope of sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, be seated. Let me give you the first D. You ready? The slippery slope of sin often starts with doubt. Doubt. All right. Doubt. Now the serpent was more cunning than all the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? That's doubt. That is a statement of doubt. Has God really done this? See, the scripture is portraying a host of living intelligent beings with individuality and personality called angels. Angelos, the word means messenger. They were created beings of God. And these beings were worshiping and celebrating God at creation. We read about that in other parts of scripture. But some of those rebelled. I'm not gonna get into the timetable today. We'll unpack that more as we go, but not today. But some of these, uh, about a third of these, rebelled against God. And the leader of the rebellion was Lucifer. He was an angel of light who would actually become an angel of darkness. And he and these angels who became what we now call demons are in this rebellious uh, hierarchy. In fact, we can read about a little bit of it in Isaiah 14. I'll put it on the screens. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you're cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Now, why did he get thrown out? Why was he cast down from heaven? Well, because this is what you said in your heart. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet, the great prophet Isaiah said, you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. You see, what happens is the rebellion of Satan has already taken place. When, I don't know, but it's happened. How long have Adam and Eve been at the garden at this point? I don't know. There are things the scripture just doesn't tell us. It could have been a shorter time. It could have been a longer time. I do know this. It was awesome before this happened. I mean, it was a great place. God gave them everything they needed. There was nothing between them, full transparency in every way, and they didn't even know it. It wasn't even a big deal because we think of things like nakedness and we think perversion and exploitation and sexuality. For them, it was just, this is life. This is the way we do life here. I don't think it is an exorbitantly long period of time because no children are involved yet, anything like that. But here's the deal. This fallen angel has possessed the body of a serpent in a pre-fall form. Now, I don't know the exact nature of what he looked like. I know every rendering he looks like a snake, right? Where do we get that? Well, we don't get it from the Hebrew because the Hebrew nehash is serpent. It doesn't indicate for us the exact nature of the creature. Where we get it is later in verse 14. I'll come to this in a, in a while, but in 14, God curses the serpent and says, because you've done this, you're more cursed than all the cattle and every beast of the field. And on your belly, you shall go and you shall eat dust all your days. That's where we get it. What we get is that uh, Satan takes the form of a snake. 
This type of serpent. Serpent, though, Nahash, the the word could have been used of big lizard, dragon-like creature, lots of other types of things, even a crocodilian type of thing or gator. So the point is this. The serpent, maybe this, this body of whatever this was, was used by Satan. I mean, this is what Satan does even today. That's not what he actually looked like. Just like the images of him with the horns and a pitchfork, that's not what he actually looks like. Is angelic, incorporeal, no actual body that we're looking at. So Paul even wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, don't marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He morphs. I mean, if he came to you in a red suit with a long tail and a pitchfork, you wouldn't fall for it. No, he comes to you in, in other forms that are much more attractive than that. In fact, the book of Revelation says more about Satan than anywhere else in Scripture. It says this in Revelation 12, 9. The great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. You see, the Bible talks about this creature. The fall of man is affected by the seductions of this serpent, Satan. He's the author of this plot. And there's Lots and lots and lots of scripture that talk about that. I don't have time to unpack it. But he's a liar and the father of lies, a deceiver and the father of deception. You know, there are really only four chapters where we don't actively hear about Satan's work. The first two and the last two. Genesis 1 and 2, and then the ends of Revelation 21, 22. What we actually find is that he's always working here, sometimes more visible, sometimes less visible, but he's always there. But I, I want to give you something here because I think this is important. We should never give Satan too much credit. I'll talk about that in the coming weeks because some of y'all like to say the devil made me do it. However, we must never forget that he really is still roaming about seeking to devour and destroy us. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion. A roaring lion. So he really hates you. He really wants to kill you, to steal your joy, to destroy you. He really hates your kids. His cohorts really hate you. But they don't hate you as much as Jesus loves you. Notice the old sly serpent doesn't talk about God in a personal covenant way. The writer says the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. That's covenant language. Yahweh Elohim. He doesn't do that. He says, has God indeed, he uses a generic term, has God indeed said. You see, it's not his God. It's not his Lord. Two things could be said about him in verse one. First, his character. The Bible says he's crafty. He's subtle. Now, it would be easy for me to stand up here and tell you those are horrible terms and the Hebrew means that he was just a terrible thing. No, that's not what it means. Crafty and subtle in the Hebrew actually are are what I would call neutral terms. Could be good. Oh, look at that guy. He's very subtle. He's very crafty. Very wise, if you will. But that's not what the, the Bible's doing here. In the text, in context, it's saying this in a very negative way. He's very crafty. He's very subtle. It could, be compre- it could be commendable or reprehensible. It's obviously reprehensible here. But the second truth we know is that he's made by God. He's just another creature in God's order here. But this is what he says. He says, uh, the, old, the old rendering in the kingdom, yea, hath God said, question mark, question mark, 
has God indeed said? It's kind of emphasizing amazement that God would restrict our freedom. It's so, so funny for me. People that don't know their Bible or don't know enough to be right, they just know enough to be dangerous, they're always talking in those terms. I can't do that Christian thing because, you know, too many rules and too much regulation. Man, the true Christian walk is a walk of freedom and liberty, not a walk of restriction and no fun. I, I, it's amazing to me how the world has distorted what God has made is so good, but it starts here with Satan. He casts doubts on God's word. Has God really said well, yeah, God said you can freely eat of all of these trees. Stay away from one, but you got 99.9% .9 of them. But Satan doesn't care about the freedom. He points to the restriction. Think about how doubt often creeps in as we step on the slippery slope of sin. I got it, man. When I knew the Lord was starting to work on my heart, it was like Satan himself sitting on my shoulder. You can't. You can't. Could you really even be saved and have done that? Do you really know enough? You never studied this. You don't even like to read. Why would you want to? I really did hate reading. I hated reading. I was a music guy. I didn't have to read. I, I, <laughs> it's just the truth. I had a couple of music history classes. I faked it through high school with Cliff's Notes. I'm sorry, I repent. Okay, here's the deal. I just, I didn't like reading. And then God gave me this voracious appetite for the Bible. Then about extra biblical material, things around the Bible. And today I have a fairly substantial library because I, God had to change my desire. He changed the things I didn't want to do into things I wanted to do. And it was just this thing where I had so much doubt. Sometimes I believe we all face doubt. You remember Peter? Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter overcame his doubts, though, when Jesus said, come, and he got down and he walked on the water until he began to look at the wind and waves of circumstances, and, and then, of course, he began to sink, and our doubt does the same thing to us. Do you really mean to say that God has said you can't eat from all these beautiful trees? I mean, it's implanting the idea that God is unduly strict, and, of course, he already knows, but he, he, he makes it worse than it is. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He makes it worse. Another mark of his subtlety is that he does not desire to arrive at the truth. I, I couldn't say it better than the, word, the Bible knowledge commentary, so let me give you these words real quick, okay? The word of the Lord brought life and order. The word of the serpent brought chaos and death. Truth is older than falsehood. That's an important thing for us to remember. God's word came before Satan's lies. And did you know that God's word will endure past Satan and his lies? You know that, right? So at the end of time, it started with God's truth. It will conclude with God's truth. We don't have to worry about this liar and the father of lies. He will be cast away. But Satan in the form of this snake or the serpent is suggesting that temptation comes in a disguise quite unexpectedly. And it comes often from a subordinate. Someone over whom we should exercise dominion. Meaning God's already said, you have dominion over all of the creatures. But it was one of these very creatures that Eve and Adam with her began to take their marching orders from. God said, you exercise dominion over them. And yet they did not. And the serpent slithered his way in. And Satan came to Jesus openly. Because Jesus would have known instantly who he was. But he came to Eve in disguise. It's interesting that the serpent's considered an unclean animal by the Hebrews. That's Leviticus 11. 
But he was this instrument of Satan, the source and author of evil and the one who inaugurated temptation. How is Satan going to tempt you, by the way? How is he going to, how does he tempt you? Does he tempt you with ugly things that you can obviously tell are going to harm you? Or does he tempt you with things that look pretty good? Well, I mean, have any of you guys ever walked into a Krispy Kreme when the red sign is on? Have any of you ever smelled that smell? What is that? That is a drug, man. It's insane, man. I, I mean, look, it looks so smooth and tempting. And can you just for a moment just imagine when you have a cold cup of milk or a hot mug of coffee and you put the hot one in your mouth and then you bite it and it melts away and you go, I got to have another bite. That melted. Am I, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? And you would probably be right when you said, well, one, one or two of those is okay, and maybe just half a dozen every now and again. But what if I progress and continue to do that? Right? So Satan is getting us here on this slippery slope, and he starts with doubt. And that's the way it happens for most of us. But the thing that happens very quickly thereafter is the slippery slope of sin often includes distortion. Distortion. Y'all know what it means to distort something, to twist out of shape, to make crooked or deformed. That word comes from Latin, um, torcure. The, the word torcure, tor, torcure, I left out the word, torcure, torque, to torque, like a torque wrench, right? To torque. That's what distortion does. It twists, it turns, it distorts out of shape. Eve replies with careless wording. She disparages the privileges of God by leaving out a word that conveys a sense of freedom, to freely eat. No, what does she say? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. She didn't say we may eat freely. God said you may eat freely, chapter 2, verse 16. You may eat freely. Of every tree you may freely eat. She leaves that out. She says we may eat the fruit of the tree, but... The fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, she's talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said, you shall not eat it. He did say that. Nor shall you touch it. I didn't read that in the Bible. Lest you die. Now, I don't know who to blame here, so I'm not gonna really try to point the finger anywhere, but maybe Eve didn't tell, maybe Eve didn't hear Adam right. Maybe Adam didn't tell Eve correctly. Maybe Eve's just caught up in the moment and adding to the word of God. I don't know here, but I do know this. She says, you can't eat it, you can't touch it, lest you die. The word lest there is a word of possibility, not actuality. Lest expresses, we may possibly die. That's not what God said. God said, you will indeed surely, truly die. So Eve either doesn't know the command of God well, or doesn't remember it well, or doesn't articulate it well. Now think about this by contrast. Satan precisely quotes and uses the word of God when Satan comes to tempt him. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus knows scripture in scripture, and he doesn't ever distort it. But what we have a lot of folks doing today is sort of carnival mirror 
play with the word of God, right? You've been to the carnival or the fair and you've seen the mirror in the fun house and some of them make you look really, really tall and some of them make you look really, really short and some of you make you look really wide and some of them make you look really thin. Y'all have all seen those, right? I mean, I particularly like standing in front of the one that makes me look really tall. I think that's cool, right? I wanna look taller. So I'm standing there, but the problem is I can't carry the mirror with me I have to walk away from the mirror. And then the reality is I'm only like 6263. I'm not 6465 or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't remember. But give or take six inches. So the reality is I'm not that. That's why God gave me rock hard abs and bulging muscles. I mean, God is good, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have, are y'all awake? I'm just making sure. Everybody here? Okay. Right? Tell them, baby. Yes, that's right. So the reality is we do that with the word of God. We distort and we elongate and stretch and pull text from context. And it's like these. I got them to order me a pair of these because I think these are awesome. I'll look in this camera right here. These are great. But we, this is called worldview. And we do this with the word of God, right? We put these things on. These are from the George Thames collection. So uh, we, uh, somebody said that earlier. I didn't say it. So uh, the reality is, y'all like these? These are cool. Uh, Y'all look really funny. Funnier than normal, actually, right here. Uh, The problem, of course, is that this would be a problem. This would be horrible. Because everything using these is distorted. You know what people do? They do this. They say, well, judge not, lest you be judged. And they have no idea what Matthew chapter 7 means. They have no idea what the Word of God says. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And they have no idea what Philippians 4 means. And they misquote and they rip from kind I see preachers do this all the time and they stand up and they say, yeah, God allow you to slay your giant or the biggest one with the, with the TV preachers, plant your seed, plant your seed. Uh, except the problem is a thousand dollars is never called the seed. The seed is the word of God. And so all these preachers that stand up and, and they distort the truth. This is hurting my head. They distort the truth because they've got the lens of culture and they're trying to read into the Bible rather than out of the Bible, eisegeting rather than exegeting, and we do the very same thing. And I wrote it like this. Liberals tend to, I don't mean political liberals, I mean theological liberals. Sometimes this can be the same, but liberals tend to take away from the word of God and legalists often add to it. So a liberal will say, no, God didn't say that about um, uh, marriage. God didn't say that about gender. God didn't say that about man and woman. God didn't say, yes, he did. It's very clear. God did call this an abomination. God did say this is the right way. God did say that's the wrong way. And legalists will say, well, look, you've got to do this, 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 this. I mean, Jesus dealt a lot more even with legalists than he did liberals in his day. But you've got to add this and add that, right? The necktie, you've got to wear a necktie. Well, I hate these things. I work because we were doing communion today, and I've been regretting that decision since I left the house this morning. I don't like them. I don't, they're not comfortable to me, and I'm quite certain Jesus didn't wear one. But there's a tradition here. I think the deacons normally dress up, and so I felt bad the last time I forgot to dress up during communion. So this is as good as it gets. Next time, I'm probably not going to do it. Sue me. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. We, we, we add to, we take away from, look what John said about this, writing about book of Revelation, last chapter. John wrote, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, and he doesn't just mean Revelation, I think he means the whole book. God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away 
from the words of the book of prophecy. God shall take away his part from the book of life and the holy city and the things which are written in the book. I mean, God is very serious about adding or taking away from the word. And it's not just legalists and liberals that do it. Man, Christians do it too. We put our glasses on. And then the problem is this is worldview. And what John Calvin said was you got to look at the world through the lens of Scripture. Right? It's a microscope. It helps you to see up close. It's a telescope. It lets you see distance through prophecy. But you can't just look at a microscope or telescope. You can't look at them. you got to look through them. you got to open it and look through it. And so this is what we need to learn to do in our day because otherwise we're getting distorted. We're getting a view that is just not right and we're calling right things wrong and wrong things right and turning them on their head and we're torquing them and that's not gonna work. The slippery slope of sin includes doubt and distortion but finally for today, the slippery slope of sin includes denial. This is super short because how much can I say about it? Look at verse four. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. (laughs) Okay. He uses the same hardcore Hebrew language that God used when he said you will surely die. Very strong wording. He says, you will not surely die. He goes diametrically opposed to what the Lord has said to Adam and then hopefully through Adam to Eve. I mean, he's almost asking, would God let you see and touch these trees and raise the desire? And would God not let you eat any of them? A good God wouldn't do something like that. A good God certainly couldn't love you if he denied you everything. And the serpent's second tactic then is to deny the truthfulness of God's word. He just, he just throws it out there. God didn't really say that. And you know, for us, we may not overtly deny God's word, but I believe we're probably guilty at some point of our life of by omission or commission denying what God has said. When you or someone you love is engaged in sin and you know it, that's a denial. And as he taught the cost of discipleship in Luke 9, Jesus said, if you desire to come after me, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and come after me. We deny ourselves, not the word of God. To deny means to refuse, reject, and disregard. If we utterly desire to come after Christ, then we must disregard our own wants, interests, and priorities and desire what he does. I wrote it like this. Commitment demands a choice. We either deny ourselves or we deny Jesus Christ. The Lord knew what he meant to deny himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Peter had a choice a few hours later. Peter, deny yourself or deny Jesus? He said, uh, I'll deny Jesus. And he paid an awful price for that. And shame and sadness and rejection. But self-denial does not mean self-rejection. It doesn't mean you wallow in self-loathing or turn away from everyone or everything you enjoy. If I enjoy it, it must be bad. No, 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 that's not what the Bible says. I'm not telling you to never eat a Krispy Kreme donut. In fact, I'm going to entice some of you in a few minutes with a Krispy Kreme donut. Just wait for it in the announcements. Oh, yeah. If God loves you, God doesn't want you to hate or reject yourself, but denying self is an important part of discipleship. It means I'm going to deny all that muck that was involved in the old me, the old life. I'm not going to deny the word of God. I'm not going to deny who Jesus is, but I am going to deny self and selfishness. Why? Well, because that's what my Lord did 
when he paid the price for my sin. I'm going to ask the deacons real quick that are in the room just to help me. I didn't do this in either service, and I should have done it in the beginning. But real quick, if you guys uh, did not get a cup and a juice and you want to take communion today as we close the service, would you just raise a hand real quick and let them know, hey, I didn't get that. Give me one. There's a few of you in here. That's cool. Just keep you. They'll come by in just a second. They'll give you what you need. Okay, let me ask a question real quick so that nobody feels awkward. Raise your hand up and let them see so that you know. Let me ask a question real quick. Are you ready? Deacons, you won't be able to serve well when I ask this question. Have any of you in this room ever struggled with doubting God or his word or the faith or you've ever questioned at all? Am I really saved? Do I really know the Lord? I wouldn't do that if I really knew the Lord. Has anybody else other than me in the room ever struggled with doubt? Raise your hand. Raise your hand, raise your hand. You've ever struggled with doubt, okay? Couple, okay, a couple of y'all didn't have your hands up, so you obviously struggle with lying, okay? And that's all right, we love you, we love you, but you struggle with telling the truth, okay, that's fine. If you've lived long enough, man, I'm telling you, now you can raise your hands if you need communion stuff. Uh, all right, thank you guys, thanks, Bill. <clears throat> I'm telling you guys, I didn't drink enough water this morning, my throat is closing up. Do you have one by there, by chance? How about hooking me up so I can finish? I, I, I got so busy running from here to up there, I didn't finish my water. Thank you, sweetheart. You are, mm, goodness gracious. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Here's the deal. <clears throat> if you don't understand what we're talking about this morning with sin and the fact that you too have probably struggled with doubt and distortion and denials at times, it could be denying God by the things you watch or listen to, the jokes you laugh at. It could be denying by not sharing the Lord when you have an opportunity. There are tons of ways to do this. The point is, Jesus had to pay the price to cover this sin. And by the way, all these other D's we're going to be looking at. Jesus had to do this because we could not do it for ourselves. All this allowed us to realize was how naked we were before a holy God. Sin simply opened our eyes to the fact that we're not the doctor, we're the patient now. I am infected, and you and I are both affected by this disease called sin. And sin always leads to separation. It separates us from our creator. It separates us from one another. So what do we do here? We come to the Lord's table in this moment and we realize that Jesus stepped in to be a substitute, to take our place. See what Jesus was doing that night when he took communion, what we call communion, for him it was a Passover meal. He was remembering, thanking God for the sacrifice of a little lamb the little lamb whose blood was shed, whose blood was then applied. And by that little lamb, his ancestors were saved. He wouldn't have been there if they had not been saved. Do you ever think about the fact that the angel of the Lord didn't knock on the door and say, who's inside? Are you worthy of saving? He just looked for the blood. And if the blood was applied... Salvation came to that house. God's not knocking on the door of your life today to say, are you worthy? Should I save you? 
You know and I know the answer to that is nope. (laughs) I'm not worthy. I don't deserve your salvation. But have you by faith applied the blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, to your life? If you have, we invite you to partake this morning. And if you'll take that first little compartment and you'll open it up and get a piece of bread. Our Lord was celebrating the feast of the Passover where he took the bread and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. And so I want to take this bigger piece of bread, and we've got a couple of pictures on the screens we've been using just to help you see that Jesus used unleavened bread, bruised and striped and pierced. And he stood before them and he blessed this and he said, this is my body broken for you. So as I pray, I want you to take just a moment to examine your own heart. God, is there anything in me that I need to confess? Is there anything I need to get rid of? God, would you by your spirit do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. We thank you that Jesus was willing to go all the way because every single one of us has been on and continues to slide on the slippery slope of sin. But we have a Savior a rescuer, a deliverer who can remove us from that horrible mountain and who can set us on the rock and give us stability. Thank you for his broken body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is my body broken for you. Jesus teaching his followers in John 6 said, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. If you'll flip your cup around and open to the juice. After the bread, our Lord took the cup. Having blessed it, he gave it. And he talked about the fact that his blood would be shed for them. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, no forgiveness. Because life is in the blood. So if we're defeating death, we defeat death with life. And so what Jesus did there was he shed his blood that you may be covered with his blood, that you may be cleansed from your sin, that we may have a righteousness before God that we didn't earn, that we don't deserve, but we are now robed in the righteousness of Christ who shed his blood on our behalf. Heavenly Father, as we thank you for the broken body, so too we we thank you for the shed blood. And Jesus, thank you for going all the way for being willing to be pierced in our place, that we may know by your stripes we are healed. In your name we pray, amen. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Some of you have said yes to Jesus Christ. He is your Lord and your Savior. I said yes to Jesus Christ nearly, it's hard to believe, four decades ago. I have been a bonehead many times since then and done things that have not honored God. I've denied the Lord with my words, actions, and inactions. But by the grace of God, I'm still as saved today and as sealed today as I was the day I first said yes to Jesus. 
Just because you slip and fall sometimes does not mean your salvation is gone. But if you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, you will continue to slip and fall all the way into an eternity of hell apart from Jesus because of your sin. Not because of him, but because of your sin. I love you enough to tell you the truth and to tell you there is a way that you can trust Christ today. Myself, fellow pastors, counselors, both men and women would love to receive you. Some of you need to come and you need to say yes to Jesus. Some of you need to come and you need to pray. I would ask you to keep praying for young Benji Bash. It's been a couple of months now when he was in his motorcycle accident. I would have some of you pray for one of the students in our school who lost his father this weekend. That makes four young men in our senior graduating class, four young men who will not have their daddies here at graduation in a few weeks. My heart breaks for this family. I'm not gonna go into details, but if you know them, would you please come and pray for them? I'm gonna ask you to continue to pray for others in our church that have great need. Uh, by the way, Randy Davidson, I should have said this in the first service, and I, I meant to say his name and I did not, but Randy Davidson, many years ago, Jesus gave him a new heart in salvation, and this, this past week, Vanderbilt gave him a new heart in his chest, and so he has a new heart. It's beating well. We praise God for that. Randy's a longtime member of our church, so would you thank God with me for, for uh, Randy's heart transplant? <clears throat> and I apologize in the first service for not doing that. I meant to say him by name, but that's very exciting. So if you want to come and pray, if you want to come and praise the Lord, Jeff's going to lead us in a great old hymn. As it says, they sang a hymn and they went out. He's going to lead us. Excuse my voice this morning. I think it's a combination of uh, Dollywood yesterday uh, with about 4 billion flowers and not drinking enough water this morning. And I'm sure Cindy's going to want to love on me and doctor me and take care of me this afternoon. So... Um, it's going to be a rough day, but I'm going to make it. So stand with me. Stand with me. And um, are you excited? Are you excited to take care of me today? I love you, baby. I just want you to know that. <clears throat> Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.